All right. Welcome back to Let's Talk About God. Let's talk about God. Today we're going to talk about God. That's, we I, say that every time. It's what we do. How, many, what we how do. many episodes have we done now? This will be episode 50. We've done 50 episodes. I feel like we should have done like a special or something today, but instead we're not. That's that's amazing. Yeah. So it's like we've been doing this for over two years now. Yeah. January was two years. January was two years. Yeah. Pretty is pretty credible. That is that is pretty incredible. Yeah. We're having a blast doing this. Um so March Madness is coming up, right? Yeah. You got a, you a you big March Madness guy? I'm not going to say I'm a big March Madness guy, but I like basketball. Like, I'll watch it. I'll get into it. But I will not keep up with a single team until March Madness. That's kind of how I am. Well, Clemson. Clemson's playing. I mean, I care about Clemson. Clemson. They're playing good. They're playing good this year. I like going to Clemson games. I just never do it. Yeah. And you can, even with COVID, you can go. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm pulling for them this year. They got a good team. And, yeah. Uh, After the football team let us down, yeah. Yeah, some hope. Let's don't even go there. I'm still bitter. I'm not bitter. I was just disappointed. Yeah. It's always hard, especially when you lose to Ohio State. Yeah. So, but uh, are you going to do a bracket? You know, we've done a bracket in the past in the office. Oh, yeah. I love doing the bracket. We brackets. need to do, do the bracket again. Really do for it, like a very minimal prize. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. Usually it's just pride. It's bragging rights, isn't it? Well, it can be. I don't know. We've never done a prize in the office now, yeah. have well, we? Well, yeah, yeah. Maybe not. We don't have to do that. We could do Is that. Is that gambling? I don't know. It might be. Well, I don't want to gamble. Never, maybe never mind then. Sorry. Well, sorry for encouraging gambling. For those of you who don't know, they they have sixty four teams, maybe a few more, and they have brackets. And so you you fill out the bracket in advance, mm-hmm. like you know the teams that are going to be in it, and then you put those teams uh, like like they know who's going to play. Let me yeah. just so you explain it. They they have all the teams lined up at the first level. And you pick the winner, and then from that point on, you're you're picking the next winner and the next winner. Then you have no idea; it's just a guess until you guess that what you think are the final two teams that'll make the playoff, and mm-hmm. then who will win that? <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's a just a total guess. I mean, you have no idea. There's no way you can know. Yeah. But we do it, and then whoever goes the furthest in the bracket wins. And I've done good before, and then like if you have two or three teams, you can just blow the whole thing. I that's that's what happens to me. I always lose on the upsets. Yeah. I can never predict the upsets, which I don't know how you do, but I can never predict them properly. Yeah, yeah, that's what gets me. So like I'll I'll have a game that I think oh for sure the team that should win will, and then they won't. Yep, the Cinderella team comes along. And, yeah, and, and then they're out them. the next round. They have no shot of making it. They just wanted to ruin my bracket. Exactly. That's all they wanted to do. That's yep. that's what typically happens, for me at least. Typically? Typically it does. Which sounds like you've just given me your pun for your move. Where is it? Oh, dang it. Dang it. There we go. Rim Finally. Shot. I'm going to have to remember those. <laughs> for those of you listening for for the first time... <laughs> If you didn't listen last month, we have a new system. We bought mics and a nice podcast system. Very nice setup here. And a new board. And on the board, we have all these um, tracks. Sound effects. Sound effects. And that 
is where Evan was doing the old. So when he has a really bad pun, I'm going to go. And if it's really bad, we'll go. Twilight Zone? Yeah. Now, where's the one where it's wah, 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 wah? Nope. Uh, There you go. There you go. There you go. Now I'm confused because they're laughing and the sad trombone. Uh, I don't know, but they won't stop laughing. (laughs) Oh, yes. I got the button on. We can't have a perpetual laugh. You know what I think we should do? We should get, oh my gosh, this has only been five minutes. We should get a button that has like like a churchy organ on it. That way if one of these <laughs> these topics just gets kind of wild, we can just, and Jesus, yeah, and just get well, going with it. And then you get a church button. Oh, I think that would be awesome. Praise break, podcast praise, praise break. Yeah, a little podcast People are wrecking break. in their cars. They're just praising hands off the steering wheel. Oh, we might have people wrecking though. That wouldn't be good if they're listening to their cars right now. That is that is just oh, some that is just so some funny. type of idea you had right there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, some, that's typically what we do on this. Typically, podcast, what we do. so around. type and typically, you're setting us up. I'm setting us up. That what is are we point. talking about today? Today we are talking about biblical typology. Biblical. I'm going to sneeze. Cut. Chew. Thank you. Excuse me. Biblical. Oh, okay. Was that a joke? No, that was just bless you. Oh, okay. Thank you. You sneezed, and I gave you a rib shot. Thank you. We're like kids with toys, people. You have to just bear with us. I just want to hear myself talk in this. In this cool mic. I'm sorry. Anyway. So it's not a typewriter. It's typology. And this is, right now, if you're listening, you're going, what? Because I know we talk about theology, and we talk about God, and we bring special guests Mm -hmm. sometimes to talk about the church. But this is a really cool topic. I think... You're going to have a lot of fun with this today. You honestly. are. You're going to like this because we're assuming you read the Bible. Yeah. People, you know, everybody's listening. You're a Bible reader. You will come across types and their fulfillments all the time. That's right. And we're going to help you understand that. And hopefully, it'll help you with your Bible reading even more to make Bible reading even more fun yeah. and enjoyable. And so th- this is going to be good today. Our goal is to make reading the Old Testament a whole lot of fun for you today. And, I really think you can. And easier. I mean, yeah. it's kind of like treasure hunting. Yeah. It's treasure hunting. So right. when you get in the Old Testament, we're going to help you today. You're going to like, We're going to hey, give you the map. We're going to give you the map. And you're going to start saying, all right, now I got to start looking for the treasure. Well, let's, let's go ahead and define what it means. Because if you don't even know what typology is, you're, you might still be a little bit lost today. Let me give you my 30-second definition of typology. Um, sometimes I do my own. Today, I, sh- I just stole it from the Lexham Glossary of Theology. Thought they did a good job, so I just stole it. So this is from the Lexham Glossary of Theology. Typology is theological interpretation that understands biblical people, things, or events as symbolizing or prefiguring later Christian beliefs. The term can be used generically to mean any kind of symbolic use of a figure, number, or thing. Now, look, I know that was a technical kind of definition. If we can break that down real simply, it means that in the Old Testament, there are many people, there's many things, and many events that give us a shadow, a silhouette, or a picture of a greater spiritual thing that is to come in the New Testament. Is that Uh, fair? That's really good. I have, mine's more expanded. Okay. Okay, 
So I'm going to give you several things. I looked up some things, and then uh, so the root word of typology is type. Type. Mm-hmm. So a type, and sometimes you'll hear us talk about this. You'll hear us say, you'll hear a preacher say, "Now this is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ." Mm-hmm. So what are they saying? Well, it's a symbol used to represent something else. So we'll start there. A type is a symbol used to represent something else. So um, typology, I'm going to give you mine, is a method of biblical interpretation whereby an element found in the Old Testament is seen to prefigure one found in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Okay? And the Old Testament element would be the type, and the fulfillment in the New Testament is called the antitype. That's right. So we're going to throw some terms out there, the type and the antitype. And I'll, I'll word it this way. The typology of the Old Testament is the picture language in which the doctrines of the New Testament are prefigured. Hmm. How do you like that? Picture That's language. That's good. I like yeah. that. So you have pictures. And um, another way to define it is it's some person, event, or ceremony that is recorded to foreshadow some future person, event, or ceremony. Mm-hmm. And again, we... That it's usually from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's good. Okay. And then I have one more. Uh, a type is a preordained uh, representative relationship which certain persons, events, and institutions bear to corresponding persons, events, and it- institutions occurring at a later time in salvation history. Mm. That's good. Okay. So those are a bunch of definitions. If you want us to make it simple, it's reading the Old Testament and reading about a person or something in the law, or some event, and then finding out later in the New Testament that that represented someone or something there in the New Testament. That's right. And there's a correlation, a connection, Mm -hmm. and you'll go, oh, I didn't know that. I just thought that was a story in the Old Testament. But that was a picture of blank. That's right. Most of the time, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. That's, That's correct. Not always, though. Mm-hmm. But it's usually a picture of, and we're going to actually give, certainly be tied to Christ in some way. Some way, and we're going to give you mm-hmm. examples here in just a minute. Yeah, so yeah. We, we at least want to to lay the foundation um, for everything, and um, and I'm going to give you three types, uh, three kinds of types. Okay. Okay. Now uh, I, I got out my old hermeneutics book from my Bible college days, and they actually have five types, but I, I think these three really cover it. There's, first of all, historical type. Mm -hmm. So that's people in the Old Testament seen as types of Jesus, Mm -hmm. all right? So Adam is a type of Jesus. And Paul talks about this in Corinthians, where he talks about the first- Romans. uh, Romans, rather. Right, thank you. Where you have Adam, you know, Adam, then Jesus is the second Adam, Mm -hmm. okay? Then you have Moses- that's right. Brought the children of Israel out of bondage through the Red Sea into the promised land. That's a type Gave of Jesus. The Gave them the law. So Jesus is the lawgiver. Brought us out of Egypt, out of the world, through the Red Sea of his blood, takes us into the, in the promised land of mm-hmm. life. In Je- so David, yeah. as Jesus is the Messiah, David is the, the prefigurement of Jesus in his messianic reign. Mm-hmm. Then you have legal types. So those are historical types. Then you have legal types, and those are symbols found within the law of Moses. And uh, I don't know if we're going to get in this later, but the we most— will. Okay, so the most common one is the Passover. Yeah. We're we going to talk about oh, that. Oh, yeah, we'll get in all of that. Okay, so we'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. But the Passover lamb, when they we were in bondage in Egypt, and the night of the Passover, remember the death angel comes, and they had to kill the lamb, and yep. everybody was in the house, and the blood was put on the lintel, strangely enough, in the form of a cross. Mm-hmm. Okay, all those are types and symbols 
of Jesus Christ, who is our Passover lamb. That's why John the Baptist said the, the lamb of God who takes away sin in the world. We'll get into that. Then there are, so those are the, those are things fall in the, found in the law. Then there are prophetic types. Okay, now this is the one's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. The, the, this is imagery in the prophets and prophecy. So uh, I'm going to give you one here because I doubt if we're going to do this, but we've talked about this in the past, the proto-evangelium. It's mm-hmm. good. Which is in Genesis where where God said that the seed of the woman would strike the head of the serpent and the serpent would strike the heel of the seed of the woman. Well, that proto-evangelium, it means the first gospel. So that's the first time in the Bible we get a glimpse of Jesus Christ coming. Well, that's, that, that is a type, okay? The seed of the woman is a type of Jesus, but, it, but it's a prophetic type. Mm-hmm. So anyway, those are, those are some things. Um, and I'm going to give you a church father saying. Yes. Because you're a big church Let's father go. guy. Okay. So I found this church father from, from one of your heroes, uh, St. Augustine. And you said it correctly. All you people in Florida, it's St. Augustine, I know. But here's what St. Augustine said. And I quote, the new, talking about the New Testament, the Old Testament, mm-hmm. okay? The new is in the old contained. The old is by the new explained. Oh, I like that. That's a St. Augustine quote. That's real good. Should I say it again? Say it again. The new is in the old ex- contained. So the New Testament is in the Old Testament contained. Mm-hmm. The old is by the new explained. explained. So that's when you read these things in the Old Testament and you don't realize, but there are New Testament things there. Mm-hmm. But how do we know it? It's because the New Testament explains it to us. I've heard it in, I've heard people modernize the language and say the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. revealed. Yeah. Oh, they were just plagiarizing. They were, that's exactly what they, they were doing. They were plagiarizing off they of St. Augustine. Um, so I, there's another thing here, and, and I'm, I don't know if, I don't know if you get into all this. We'll get into your notes here. But uh, I thought this was in- interesting. And there's the have you ever, have you ever heard of the as so principle? Uh, that's a, no, I don't think so. Okay, so I was doing my study and I found this is the as so, mm-hmm. and the as so principle usually relates to types. Mm-hmm. So for folks, when you're reading the Bible, if you get into a passage that says as, and then it comes back and says so. You found a type. Mm, I understand. Okay. Okay. I get so you. Now. These are verses that that they're, they're a combination containing their combination. So here's an example: mm-hmm. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Ah, there you go. So see, as in Adam, there's the Old Testament all die, even so in Christ all shall be made. Here's another one: As Moses, and this one should yeah resonate yes. with you. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's great. As so. So there's a little something to help folks when you're reading you and go, hey, that's a type. That's really good. Yeah. And I want to mention before we, just because we're doing all these summaries, before we get into the etymology and whatnot, um, is it possible that there are types that are not explicitly mentioned in the New Testament, but they are types nonetheless? Meaning that it's not, you know, even though Paul doesn't necessarily quote it or Jesus doesn't say it is, that the theme is so abundantly clear, we can confidently call it a type. Yes, and this is what makes typology a bit, uh, I wouldn't say questionable by no means. I think it just makes it a bit tentative. 
mm-hmm. because you can take typology too far. And we're going to talk about mm-hmm. that in a minute when you talk about allegories. You can carry it too far, and that really it's not an allegory. But the safest way to make sure you've got a type is if it's actually in the New Testament. Yeah, that's that, correct. That's that, the safest way. Yeah. As so, just we just yeah, got correctly. You can't get any clearer in these as so passages. Yep. But you also have to look and say that sometimes the imagery is there and it may not be shown. Now, I'll give you an example. Uh, when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain, uh, it, it, there, there's, there isn't anything in the New Testament that says Isaac represents Jesus. It does say that he figuratively came back from the dead, but it doesn't say he's Jesus. Right. That so, just has to do with faith. So my point is it's there. Yeah, that's correct. So, pre, pre, it, so, so take your son, God said to Moses, take, uh, uh, Abraham, take your son, your only begotten son. So there's some, there's some language there up on the mountain and it happens to be Mount Moriah, which is the same place where Calvary was. Mm-hmm. And he takes him up and he says, sacrifice, give to me your only son. And so Abraham ties him up and, uh, and, he, and he says, Father, we have the wood and, the, and we have the fire, but where is the lamb? Yeah. And he said, the Lord will provide. Yeah. And so there's this whole concept of the lamb. And, and so often scholars say it's very clear that Abraham is the father and Isaac is the son. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes and gets a bride for her. her. You know, he he sends back and he he sends Eliezer to bring a bride to the mm. to, so that represents the church. So there's some there's some typology there that may not necessarily say it, but it's biblically warranted. It's biblically warranted. There's, I think about even like the Joshua and the crossing of the Jordan. Nowhere does the Bible say that that is a type of baptism, but. Uh, so- <laughs> I can't keep going. Listeners, our room light just cut off. You know why? Why? Because we have that panel up over the door. That is hilarious. Do you just want to keep going in the dark? Oh, we're fine. We have we have light from the window. So. We're, we're just going to keep going. Basically, what I was trying to say is um, in uh, when, when Joshua crosses the Jordan, I think it's clear that's a type of baptism or entrance into the Christian life or whatever you want to name it. It's very clear from uh, the flood, Peter tells us that. It's very clear from the Red Sea. Paul tells us that. And God makes it clear to Joshua, I'm kind of doing something like I just did at the Red Sea, just a little different. So we can infer this is a type of baptism, though the New Testament doesn't explicitly call it so. Does that make sense? Yes. So that that's where we want to say that. But Well, let's move on. Let's talk about the etymology real quick of type. You uh, uh, mentioned it real quick. Right, let's wait, break wait. It so down. what's etymology? So etymology is uh, kind of the the root of a word. Where does it draw its meaning, or where does the the what is the root of the word? Literally, okay. Where does it spring from? So we're talking about word studies here. That's right. Um, so typology stems from the Greek word typos, which refers uh, to making an image on a coin or on a statue. It can also be translated as example, but I think that image or coin on a statue is better. So I think about it like take out your penny and you've hammered into the penny a picture of Abraham Lincoln. There's certainly an image there. There's certainly a type of Abraham, or yeah, Abraham Lincoln there. But one, it's not as detailed. It's not, uh, it doesn't give his skin color, his his beard color. It doesn't have all the details. And it's not Abraham Lincoln. 
It's a penny. It's not him in the flesh. It's not his body. It's an image. It's an image of it. And so when we think about types, especially as we say they're fulfilled in Christ, um, like you said, Moses isn't Christ. He's Moses, but he's an image, a picture, a resemblance of the true one that would come. Um, I kind of think about it like this. You know when uh, when you're like baking brownies or cookies or something like that, and you want to put them into like a special little uh, shape or image like that, and so you've got the pan out, and uh, and maybe it's in the shape of a star or a dinosaur or something like that. When you're just looking at it, you can kind of tell the shape is of a dinosaur, but it's really just like a silhouette. Does that make right. sense? And then later yeah. on, you pour the batter and you fill it, or if we want to use biblical language, fulfill it, <laughs> if uh, you will, and then you get a clear picture of what it's supposed to be. That's good. That's kind of what biblical typology is. So for biblical purposes, types refer to a certain kind of person, place, or event in the Old Testament that's then traced through corresponding antitypes in the New Testament. Antitype comes from the Greek prefix anti, which just means corresponding or opposite. So when we say anti-type, we don't mean like it's the complete opposite of Christ. So an anti-type of, of, you know, Moses, once again, isn't Satan. It's not a satanic person. It's not anti-Moses. It's the opposite or corresponding. It's Christ. So this is a... Uh, a positive thing, not not a negative thing. The reason I say that is because we so often men- mention the antichrist. Right, we think anti is the opposite, the opposite or the evil side, but that's not what this is about. That's not what it means. It's just the opposite. That's correct. But in a positive sense. Yeah. So Moses was the was a prophet. Jesus is the prophet with a capital P. That's David right. David was a national leader. Jesus is the, the leader yeah. with a capital L. That's right. And they just represented what he would mm-hmm. ultimately become you know, when he arrived. Yeah. Okay. Let me read you this really, this is a big definition, but I think it's worth breaking down. So Francis Young defines typology as, I quote, (laughs) the meta-historical universal narrative of the fall and redemption recapitulated time and again within history so that narratives are configured according to this interpretive framework. And this is a dude that spent way too much time in academia. Way too much time. Let, let me... Uh, with all due respect to all of our yeah, yeah, no, no. people great. that we love in people. academia, but it's that's... Just, it's just, man. Yeah. Let's break this down. Uh, when we say meta-historical, I think he's just referring, referring to something that happens all throughout history uh, that's done time and time again in history, a universal narrative of fall and redemption. I think what he's trying to say is this, is that when we look at biblical types, it's a certain time of type of person, thing, or event that happens over and over and over and over again to paint a picture for us of fall and redemption, to paint a picture for us of what God is actually doing. So you could think of it like humanity is sinful. So God purifies the world, but he preserves Noah and he purifies it through water and preserves someone. Um, the, the, the Israelites are captured in slavery, but he purifies them. They go through the Red Sea and then he kills the enemies or or whatever it is like that. Joshua goes through the Jordan and then they attack all the enemies. Like there's kind of a certain uh, thing that happens over and over and over again that then gets to 
Jesus, who defeats our true enemy, gives us true cleansing by the spirit, yada, yada, yada. It's something that happens repeatedly, is I think what he's trying to say Until here. it reaches Christ, and then it's consummated, it's That's done. Correct. It's It finds its fulfillment. The and, reality happens. And, and Christ, and then there is no more, he fulfills the, the, the meta-historical narrative. And so what we're saying is that typology is built on scriptures. It's built on themes. It's built on real-life events. It's not born out of the reader's own imagination. It's not born out of what we just want the scriptures to mean. It's not just sort of vain spiritualizing. We're getting it from somewhere. So when we are looking for tights, when we're looking for Jesus in the Old Testament, it's not out of nowhere. We're looking for common themes. We have, like we said, a map to the treasure. That's good. So with that being said, before we really look at some examples of typology and and really break it down in that way, let's look at what isn't typology. I think that's going to be really, really helpful. So first, typology isn't the same as allegory. So allegory can be defined as a spiritual interpretation of like actual historical events. Um, I wrote this down. If we define allegory as a spiritual interpretation separated from the historical literal meaning of the text and event and theological themes, then allegory is certainly wrong and it's different from typology. Here's what I mean. If we look at the Bible and then just make literal events become spiritual out of our own imagination because we just want it to be, or if we take philosophical concepts and just say, well, this thing represents this, then it's certainly wrong. We can't make up meanings for the text that we just want it to mean. And too often, allegory results in us just taking philosophy or just saying, well, if I make this little event mean this spiritual meaning, then this will all make sense without searching out the scriptures and finding themes that happen over and over again. And we can't do that. Yeah, and there have been liberal interpreters who have, I think, utilized allegory to purposefully ignore the real meaning. That's correct. So they can create their own meaning. And there are allegories in the Bible. Certainly. Uh, but they, there aren't many that are there, but that's what I'm saying. You, you shouldn't press it. You're right. And that's not a type. That's, that's not a type. A type, there's actually, you can see it. You know, it's, it's a, there's true representation there. And remember, there's always a fulfillment in the type, like we said. You're always going to see it fulfilled to come to its reality in the New Testament. Now, I want to say too, because um, I'm just going to get defensive, a lot of times the church fathers get a lot of flack that uh, early in the years they were just making up whatever they wanted to make up. Well, wasn't St. Augustine pretty big on allegorizing. He was a good mixture, certainly. Oh, Ambrose, his teacher, now Ambrose was, or Luther was a lot more literal. Okay. Um, Augustine was a mixture. His uh, his kind of spiritual father, his mentor, Ambrose, was a mixture. Um, but I, I don't like the accusation that they're just pulling stuff out of nowhere. Um, even Origen, who certainly had his moments of inserting philosophy and different things like that, a lot of his allegorizing figure quotes, spiritualizing, are really his having a hand in typology. And so, for instance, I'm reading Origen's writings on the book of Joshua right now. And most of the time, he's not just making stuff mean what he wants it to mean. He's, he's bridging the gap between Old and New Testament. He's saying, here is this, but Jesus says this. The New Testament says this. He's, he's really doing that kind of typological work. 
Now, certainly there are times when they just go too far and it's not there. The themes aren't there. It doesn't happen more than once or anything like that. So we do have to be careful. Yeah. But allegories when you just start spiritualizing stuff just because without any biblical connection or warrant. Yeah, you're just making something. Mean what you want. Yeah, mean what you want. Now, let's go ahead and take care of this. And I think you can help us with this. There is a time in the New Testament where allegory is mentioned. And it's the Apostle Paul. So in Galatians 4, chapter, verses uh, 22 through 21, I regret I didn't copy and paste the uh, scripture, though I thought that I did. Essentially, the Apostle Paul says that the story of Hagar and Sarah is an allegory for the works of the law and the work of grace or, or, or promise or gospel. And so he says, this is an allegory. Uh, uh, of the truth of what this means. Do you have that scripture pulled up there? Can you read it? <laughs> yeah, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he who of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. Mm. For these are the two covenants, uh, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai and Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him, who is born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Mm, that's a lot. It is a lot. Let me share what I wrote down, and then I want to hear what you have to say about this. I just want to read my bullet points. Um, one, I said in defense of what Paul's doing here, he's writing Scripture. Holy Spirit can do what he wants. <laughs> he right. can do what he wants with He's his own He's divinely scriptures. inspired. We can't question it. Yeah. Two, Paul is tracing a biblical theme of law versus grace and gospel. Paul's not getting this from nowhere. He's tracing covenants. He's, he's tracing a theme here. Uh, he's not just pulling this out of a hat. And that's what he's writing in Galatians. He deals a lot with that. Exactly. Three, he's even referencing the Bible, which refers to Jerusalem as their mother. So he's pulling his language from other biblical language, from biblical prophecy. Uh, once again, he, he's reference, referencing the scriptures. He's not pulling this out of nowhere. Um, and so that's what I would have to say is that Paul is not grounding his spiritual interpretation from what he wants it to mean. Um, he's not pulling it out of nowhere. He's not uh, pulling philosophy into it. What he's doing is, is really taking biblical themes and inserting into the text, which is completely warranted because Hagar and Ishmael was the fruit of works, and then Isaac was the fruit of a promise, right. which is a theme carried out throughout the whole Bible. And, and the promise of salvation through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a theme carried throughout the whole Bible. So Paul's not just out here in no man's land. No, it's based on Scripture, and again, like you said, Paul was inspired to write this, so I don't think he was just making it up. I think the Holy Spirit was giving him revelation, mm -hmm. and and that there's a real valid point that other Scriptures support all this, that your true spiritual descent is not 
from Abraham is not physical, it's spiritual. Yep. And I think that's what he was trying to say because he was writing to the Jews, is that you're not children of Abraham because of your your ethnicity. You're children of Abraham because of your faith. Because if that was true, then Ishmael would be a children or child of the promise, right. if you will, and because he was a physical child of But Abraham. he wasn't. He was cast out, yeah. made to go away. And I that's think right. that's why he was able to take that story and— um, and and do the allegory there, so that's right. Anyway, that's good stuff. We we threw that's not typology, but you're, we're just throwing in some extra stuff here. Just kind of want to help because you may come across that, and depending on your translation, like yours said, um, symbolic. I've read others that said figurative, yeah. and some of them said uh, this is allegorical. Well, my footnotes in my study Bible they say it's an allegory, exactly. allegorical representation. See, that's the one, and the only other one that I really know of is in the Old Testament. Um, where God is speaking through a prophet and he talks about a vine and the vine is Israel. Mm-hmm. So there's an allegory and I'm sure there's more, but these are the kind of the two that stick out to me. And he goes to, and he then when he does the out, then he actually explains it. Yeah. So after he says, I, I planted a vine and it did this and he does this whole thing about a vine. Then he said, oh, Israel, you are the vine. Mm-hmm. So he reveals the meaning of the allegory. Yeah. So, all right, so you got allegories. It's not an allegory. What else is a type not? So type not is figurative speech. So I don't think figurative speech and uh, typology are like, uh, what am I trying to say? Mutually exclusive. I think they work together. They can, but they're not the same thing. So for instance, Hebrews tells us that Abraham figuratively received Isaac back to life when God provided the ram in his place. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. So the language here is um, certainly, as we talked about Isaac, Abraham and Isaac is a type of Christ dying and rising for us, but we're speaking figuratively now when we say that Isaac rose again, because Isaac did not die and Isaac did not rise again. He Figurative. So you have died. a type, you have typology and figurative speech. Figurative speech together, and working again, together. And again, the typology is not blatant; it's not stated, but yet it's so clearly there. Mm. It's a type because the events are fulfilled with In Jesus Christ. Christ. It's figurative language because it represents something, though the thing didn't happen. Which we can say the the, the Bible doesn't necessarily say this, but we can say the same thing with Joseph. Joseph is a type of Christ. Right. He and he figuratively died in his brother's and his dad's mind and figuratively rose again when they found out he wasn't dead and rose to power. Uh, and he is a type because it's as if he died, rose again, and rose in power. Right. Type of Jesus. Exactly. Okay. So that's a figurative speech. Sometimes it's there. What else? What so else do we have? We've got a parable. Uh, this is super common in Jesus' ministry in the New Testament. A parable, <clears throat> excuse me, is a story that's used to communicate spiritual truth. It's kind of like an illustration or a brief story that usually just brings out a single point. Earthly story with a heavenly meaning is what exactly. I've always, a little simple definition. It's like a sermon illustration. Yeah. Most sermon illustrations I use on a Sunday morning aren't a type and fulfillment of of Christ. Like I, I don't have the power to do that. I'm not writing scripture, but it's an earthly story that gives you a single spiritual meaning, basically. Okay. 
right. that's what Christ is doing. Now, of course, his parables have all kinds of biblical themes. You have to have a background in the Old Testament to really understand what he's saying there. We're not saying that they're all divorced from the themes of the Bible, but they aren't. They certainly aren't people, events, places that are, I guess, types in that they are later fulfilled. They're right. just bringing out spiritual truth. Yeah, they're stories. They That's illustrate right. spiritual truth. Okay. Um, and then the last one is a symbol. Uh, a type is different from a symbol because a symbol is a timeless sign. It always means what it means, where a type is looking forward to the anti-type. So if we see a type in the Old Testament, we're always looking forward to whatever fulfills it, like we said, usually Jesus. So when I was preparing for our podcast today, I I read some of this. I didn't make any notes, but can you think of I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, boy. This may not be fair. Oh, boy. Um, could you think of an idea, uh, think of something in the Bible where something is a symbol, not a type? Um, <laughs> maybe this isn't the greatest illustration. Forgive me, but uh, I don't know why I'm thinking about this. So think about like um, something like wine or something like figs or something like that is usually a symbol for prosperity, joy, uh, a fig tree fruit. is a symbol of Israel. Yeah, or a fig tree is a symbol of Israel. That's in the Old Testament, right? Um, yeah, things like that. You know, your or or uh, milk and honey, things like that. That kind of symbol like, of the prosperity and yeah. productivity of the Promised Land. That's correct. Okay, but those aren't types. They're I mean, in a sense, they have their fulfillment in Christ, but they are. I mean, at the same time, they are a symbol. Yeah, of but prosperity. Like a land flowing with milk and honey not really isn't really a type of Christ. It's exactly. just a symbol of how fruitful and productive and prosperous this land is that you're going to. Yeah. Okay. And like the wilderness can be a symbol mm-hmm. of going through a season where you're in a dry place spiritually yeah. and whatever, but it's not a type that's found in Christ. So there's some examples if you read in the Old Testament. Um mm-hmm. Egypt was a symbol of the world. Mm-hmm. I know, and I, I, to me, you could almost call Babylon, Egypt, or Babylon, almost a, in a sense, a type, or maybe it is a symbol of all of the rebellious, evil communities and governments and nations of the world. Would that be fair? I think so. I think so. Again, that's where you may be pressing the difference between a type and a symbol. symbol. That's correct. Yeah, because where's the fulfillment? Exactly. Unless the, yeah, you're right. But regardless, and once again, all of these, we're not putting these together as something that is bad. We certainly need figurative speech, uh, parables, symbols, uh, all of those types of things. They work together with the types. Uh, It's not that they're all bad or anything like that. So, well, now that we've kind of gone through what a type isn't, we wanted to make sure that we distinguish that, and we know that a type is person, place, event, thing, whatever it is that finds its fulfillment in the New Testament. Let's start looking at examples in the New Testament of types. And I think this is going to do a number of things for the listeners. One, this is going to give you the actual types that can help you read the Old Testament better so that you can go back and just have these in your brain. Two, I hope it gives you an interpretive principle. I hope it helps you see uh, what you need to look for. 
that it's not just limited to these examples we're going to give you. There's certainly more. And so we hope that this enhances your Bible reading, specifically your Old Testament reading, um, to help you read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, even outside of these examples we're about to give you. And I guarantee you there, there are reader, there are listeners right now, you've been reading one time and you've read the Old Testament, you go, you know, that makes me think of Jesus, or mm-hmm. that makes me think of something happened in the New Testament. That's right. Well, what you're doing is you're, you're recognizing a type. That's correct. All right, so what's the first one? So the first one, we want to give you an easy one. I mean, we want to give you one that you probably know if you're a Christian or been in church. John 3, 14 says this. This is Jesus speaking. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, what? Oh, okay. Something happened with my uh, copying. I'm sorry. That was Romans. Anyways, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Something happened with our notes there. But that would be the type right there in John three fourteen. And if you've got it in front of you, go ahead and re- read through the most famous Bible verse ever, John three sixteen. Yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that that's contextually all together. That flows together. So the most famous Bible verse, maybe the first one you ever learn, is in the context of a type, of a biblical type. That shows you just how important biblical types are. Right. So the story is the children of Israel sinned against God. They're traveling through the wilderness, and in and in judgment against them, God sent these asps, that's a hard to say, A-S-P-S, these vipers uh, that are in the Middle East into the camp, and now they're just invading the camp. That would be terrifying. That's like snakes on a plane. We're Samuel Jackson We're when Samuel you need Jackson. Him. Yeah, there's with uh, 10, 20, 50 times, 100,000 times over. Ooh. And so they're coming through the camp, they're biting people, and the venom's killing people. And so Moses is interceding and says, please don't kill the people of God, you know, your people, even though they've sinned. And so he said, I want you to beat out a brazen serpent out of brass Mm -hmm. and put it on a pole and hold it up high in the camp. And then whosoever looks on the the brazen serpent will live. I'll I'll heal them. And and so that's what Moses did, and it worked. God Mm -hmm. healed them. And and that is a type of Jesus Christ who was lifted up uh, on a cross. Yeah. And the sin, the, the, the... Venom of sin is killing mankind, but Jesus comes and raises himself. They raise him up to die on the cross, and whoever looks on him can live. It's interesting because the Israelites are looking at the very thing that is their judgment, which is a snake. snake. As we look on Christ, Christ is uh, reckoned, I guess, or, or seen as a guilty criminal bearing Sin, be, yeah. b- bearing his punishment for sin. He he he, he bore our sin, and he even became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So he he yeah. was our sin. So he he became he, a curse for curse. us. Right. That's right. right. Yeah. He who knew curse. no sin became sin that we right. might become the righteous. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's correct. Yeah. And so we see that that language there. I, I even see if we want to continue to talk about biblical themes. I mean, who brought sin into the world? It was certainly the snake in the garden. Uh, the the language is there of of snake being evil, being sin, being destructive, being judgment, and so we get this beautiful picture where Christ fulfills it of hanging on the cross as the curse, bearing the death, bearing the sin, and when we look on Him, just as they received 
physical life from the poison, we receive eternal life from yep. the poison of sin. So you're getting all these points that come from the type. Um, and you know, everybody in that camp was looking, they were looking for the snakes, but once the 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 bronze serpent went up, they stopped looking at the snakes and they started looking at the bronze snake. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, and if I if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That's right. And so there was there's a move where you stop looking at sin and you start looking at the Savior. That's good. And that's a transition that happens. So yeah, that, so there you go. There's a there's a really good type. It's so that really, yeah. that help you understand. I mean, obviously that's an obvious type because he he actually makes references. Yeah. So that's an easy one. But it, it's really neat because Jesus is giving us an interpretive principle. We're learning. Okay, these things are there. Well, let's move on to one that Paul gives us in Romans chapter five verses twelve through twenty one. Um, this is another long passage, but I think it's really helpful to include all of it. Um, so, Romans chapter five verses twelve through twenty one says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. There it is. We actually have the word type. type right there. But the gift is not like the trespass. So here we're going we're gonna to get the, the compare and contrast. For if by the one man's trespass, the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift, which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from, from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. If by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more were those who received the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then as through one trespass, there's condemnation for everyone. So also through one righteous act, there's justification leading to life for everyone. For justice through one man's disobedience, the many leading uh, the many were made sinners. Through, through, so through the one man's disobedience or obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I know that was a lot, but the reason I wanted to read that is so that you can hear the type language and so that you can receive that strong compare and contrast, that strong fulfillment language, that strong way in which Christ uh, represents Adam and yet does what Adam could not for us. Yeah, Adam uh, represented the whole human race or and even headed, he was the federal head of the human race, headed a race uh, uh, stained with sin and condemned. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ is now creating a human race that is justified and forgiven mm. and right with God. That's good. So he is the antitype. What what Adam should have been, Jesus is become. That's right. And yeah, there's tremendous, um, tremendous typology. And there's no way we we can't take the time to go through that whole verse. Yeah, We'd yeah, be here lot, all day. I just wanted you to hear it more than anything. Yeah. Um, he you, did, Adam disobeyed. Jesus obeyed. That's right. You know, by Adam's act, many people became sinners. By Jesus' act, many people can become righteous. That's right. Yeah. By one man's offense, death entered the world. By Jesus, death on the cross, life entered the world. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, he's the fulfillment of, of what Adam 
It's it's interesting too. He said he's the fulfillment of what Adam should have been, right? Which is the representative of all of humanity that leads us into life. So Christ is doing what Adam could not do. So he's still a fulfillment of Adam, just of what Adam was designed to be, not what he actually was. Right. Um, so I hope that helps you in your reading. I'm going to be honest. I feel like that's one you and I talk about every episode. I feel like they for sure heard that before. And I, I bring that up because it's so key to understanding the New Testament and the New Covenant. And yeah, because again, salvation. it goes back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And we keep saying on these podcasts, right. if, if, if you don't read and know Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the rest of the Bible makes, makes no, no sense. sense. Yep. So we see that, uh, that we have two types right there. Um, let's go on to 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. We're about to receive many, many, many types right here in okay. this one little passage. Yeah, there, there are a bunch in here. So let's listen to Paul. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 1 through 13 says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Listen to this. Now, these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. That was the so as principle flipped, right? Right. Um, don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes like we just talked about. And don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples and were written for our instruction. The Old Testament's important on whom the end of the ages has come. So whoever thinks he stands, just be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be attempted beyond what you're able, but the temptation will also provide a way out so you may be able to bear it. So we see right here in this passage, Moses is taking the story of Israel and just one after another. That's for us. That's for us. That's for us. That's for us. And he does it in two ways. And one way, this is all spiritual stuff for our benefit. It's Christ. And another way, this is an example for us so that we don't follow suit. So it's really interesting what he does here, that almost casually, repeatedly, he's just throwing out how the Old Testament is a picture for us today. Yeah, I even have notes in my Bible where um, uh, all, all, all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, that that's a type of salvation. That's right. And then all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Uh, that's an easy one. I mean, that's that's a type of water baptism. I mean, right there. Then all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink as a type of communion. Yeah, certainly. And, and then, of course, the rock is a type of Christ. And the food is a type of Christ. He said, yep. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. Um, and, and of course, the rock was Christ. He says that. Mm-hmm. So we, you get the images there um, to, to see, you know, so it's pretty clear. It, it, it's so neat. And, and so let's take a moment to do maybe some some teaching on biblical interpretation. 
what can what way can we learn from Paul how to benefit from the Old Testament? And we've got a lot more to learn from, but I feel like Paul gives us a pretty decent interpretive principle, does he not? Like Paul makes the Old Testament come alive for Christians, people in the New Covenant today through his interpretation. Um, how can we put those principles just like he did into use for us, where I can read um, the story of Israel, Israel and Exodus and in, 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 in Numbers and, uh, and not just get the history of a nation, but spiritual benefit? Well, I think you look for what, what would match up in the New Testament, what what would prefigure something in the New Testament? That's why I said it's treasure hunting. Yeah, you're treasure hunting, and and so I'm going to just go ahead. You you've got Hebrews eight five. So let me just go to that and then answer your question. Mm-hmm. Hebrews eight five says these serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle, for God said, "Be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain." That's so cool. I'm going to go there. Yeah, to answer your question. So. When you read the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, all right, Genesis is pretty cool. It's got all these stories. Comes out of the gate with a story. Creation of man, it's cool. Genesis, Exodus is cool because you got the story of the children of Israel and coming out of Egypt. But but when you get towards the end of Exodus and then you get into Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Oh, that's when every year-long uh, Bible reading plan Tanks, tanks right there. And people quit reading <laughs> and they skip right over to Joshua because yeah. they want to read about the walls of Jericho and then Judges because they read the Bible stories of Samson and, yeah, and all that. exciting stuff. So when you get into there and you read all of this stuff that has to do with the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and the table to show bread and the laver, the brazen laver where they would wash and the holy place and the holy of holies and the outer court and the inner court and and the Ark of the Covenant and the two seraphim and the and the mercy seat on top of it, you can get so bogged down on it. And mm-hmm. then you read about the burnt sacrifice and the, and you read about the the uh, guilt sacrifice and the sin sacrifice and the and the wave offering. You just start reading all these sacrifices and it's redundant. And you're just saying, man, this is just. Like people's biggest question is, what does this? Have what does to all do this with have me? to do with me? You know that had to do with Israel. And then you read about. Um, the law of the firstborn, and, and you're trying to figure all this out, and then you read that 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 every firstborn of a lamb or a or a or a bull or a goat had to be sacrificed, mm-hmm. but the firstborn of a donkey, you had to redeem it with money. You had to break its neck. So you're reading all this stuff, and and that's what I'm saying. The the everything there is a type, a shadow, a prefigure of the of what is to come. Mm-hmm. And so, how does this help us? The reason I wanted to go to that verse is go treasure hunting. And while you're reading it, see if there's something there that points you to fulfillment in the New Testament. Mm. That's what can help make those things come alive. Now, I'm going to give you one that I learned years ago, and I've actually preached a sermon on this. All right. I was with a Bible, a, 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 a profound, unbelievable Bible teacher, okay? And he and I were just alone in a room. And I said, all right, I'm going to ask you a question. I said, what's the deal with the donkey where you redeem, you, 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 you sacrifice the firstborn, but you either redeem the donkey or you break its neck. Mm-hmm. Immediately, he looks at me and says, the donkey is a type of the sinner. Type, did you get that? Yeah. A representation of the sinner. I said, okay. He said, the donkey is an unclean animal. Every other animal where you 
where you sacrifice the firstborn Mm -hmm. is a clean animal. Like a lamb. A lamb, a bull, a goat. Those are all clean animals that you could eat. But a Jew would tell you, you don't eat a donkey. It's an unclean animal. That's a representation of a sinner, Mm -hmm. unclean. He said, thus, only one of two things can happen to a sinner. They either are under judgment and they die, or they have to be redeemed. Mm. So the donkey's either his neck's broken and he dies, or he said you have to redeem it and buy it back. He said that's a representation of the sinner and our need of a savior. Mm. I said, man, you just got that. He said, yeah. He said that's what that means. That's like a like a pumped up hype sermon on oh, a Sunday morning. Oh, I can preach this on the donkey. And so then he says, go to the New Testament. He said. What did Jesus ride on when he entered into Jerusalem? I said, a donkey. He said, all right. And he said, what did he do? He sent the disciples to go get the donkey. And he said, get the donkey and bring it to me. And he said, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get sinners and bring them to Jesus. Mm. And he said, so they went and they got the donkey. And the people there said, hey, hey, what are you doing taking our donkey? And he told them to say this. They said, the Lord has need of him. And he said, that's what we need to tell sinners is that Jesus needs you. There's a purpose in life that you don't even understand yet. And since so they brought the donkey and they brought him to Jesus and they sat Jesus on the donkey and he rode into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. And he said, nobody said, oh, look at that cute donkey. He <laughs> said, everybody said, look at Jesus. Yeah. And he said, that's what's supposed to happen. He said, when you get saved, people don't look at who you used to be. They look at who you are now. They look at Jesus in you. And he said, everybody saw Jesus. And he said, we are supposed to carry and convey Christ into this world, into our homes, into our schools, into our work, everywhere we go. He said, we're supposed to carry Jesus everywhere we go and so that people can see Christ in us. That's good. And he gave me all that in five minutes. Yeah. So, And certainly it gives you a picture of what Christ came to do, that he's associated with the donkey, with the sinner, with the humble, with the lowly. Right, but the point is, if you, I would have never have seen that, except that I had a teacher who understood mm-hmm. that to help me see, because uh, we said most of the types are about Jesus, but in this case, here was an animal that is a type of the sinner. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Certainly. So you got a treasure hunt. When you're looking, you say, is there something there? So every lamb that was ever sacrificed is a type of Jesus, the mm-hmm. lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, the tabernacle, the the laver, the, the brazen altar, okay, the the table of showbread. Mm-hmm. All right, Jesus said, "I'm the bread of life." The the lamp that was in the temple. I'm the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Okay, uh, the you you could go through the temple and and everything you look there. There's a symbol and there's a meaning, uh, and it, and it points to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's how you read through those stories. And you say, where do I see Christ in this? Usually the starting point is Jesus. Or where do I see the plan of salvation here? Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't it crazy that they walked through the Red Sea? It's wild. I mean, it's still called the Red Sea. But I mean, isn't it something that was called the Red Sea? Yeah, yeah, I understand. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they passed through the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. You got to think about, I'd mentioned this earlier, the um, them going through the Jordan well, where was Jesus baptized? In the, in the uh, Jordan. Jordan River. And yeah. what was his name? It was Joshua, basically. Yes. Greek version of Joshua. You know what I mean? There's these little things like we're, we're not pulling this out of a hat. We're going to the New Testament. We're finding these things and we're bringing, we're receiving spiritual meaning from it. Right, exactly. So I guess we got one more, right? And Peter? Uh, we do. First we have, Peter. We have one more. And then if you want to riff, if you've got anything else you want to mention, if we just want to throw some out there, 
we can surely do that. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 say this, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, and righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Now watch this. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. So the apostle Peter himself says that the flood is a type or it corresponds to baptism right there. And so we can see we're given a key right there. This water language is, is, right, is right in front of us that it is a type of baptism. So now we have to ask, what does the flood have to do with baptism? Well, in the flood, sinners were washed away, but the righteous were preserved. In the flood, um, when we get down with the flood, God tells Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Noah is a type of Adam in a sense, a new Adam to fulfill the role. So you come out and he is a new Adam to be fruitful and to be multiplied. Uh, at, at the end of baptism, what happens? The dove comes down on the water and it eventually flies away. Well, we bring this right into the New Testament. Jesus is baptized in the River Jordan and what happens? The dove, the Holy Spirit comes down. We have a picture of the old man, the sinful man dying and the new man rising up. There's this picture right here. And now every time that you read the Noah story, you don't just walk away with like interesting history of the world. You're getting a picture of what God does to you when he saves you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's powerful. I mean, how neat. Yeah, and, and you get this water picture throughout. I think the flood is the reason that the Red Sea can make so much sense or the Jordan can make so much sense or whatever else. Like we said, it's a theme over and over and over and over again. The one for me that that you didn't put down but step that that sticks out to me is Melchizedek. I was going to bring it up. You were going to bring it up. It, I was waiting on it. I that, had that in my brain the whole time. Yeah, I, I think, and maybe that's a good one to close on, is Melchizedek. Um, and you read about Melchizedek in Genesis. So here's the story. Um, five kings in that region fought against four kings and one side won and one side lost. And it just happened to be that Lot, Abraham's nephew lived in the area mm-hmm. where the kings that that lost were beaten. So they they not only beat those kings and their armies, they started taking everybody captive. So yeah. Lot and his family and his possessions got taken captive are now being carried off by these conquering kings. Abraham he, hears about it, rallies his troops, which is only a few hundred, and goes all night and through the help of God defeats I want to say it's five kings, defeats these five kings in their army. I mean, it was, we don't make a lot about it, but it was a big deal. I yeah. mean, it was, it took the hand of God. They, with only few in number, defeated them and he rescued Lot and he brings them back. Okay? And Lot is righteous. Made a bad decision to live there in Sodom and Gomorrah, but right. he's considered righteous. Right, he preached, he preached to the people in, in Sodom. So he, he gets him back, and when he gets back and the four kings that got defeated, they're happy now because he not only brings back Lot, he brings back all the captives, all right? And he's got all this money and 
and possessions and stuff that he stole. And so when he arrives, out of nowhere, this guy shows up named Melchizedek, Mm -hmm. and he is the king of Salem and the priest of God, which means king of peace. Yeah, and and, righteousness. And righteousness. And so the king of peace, the king of righteousness, who is a priest, Hmm. so a priest king shows up. And what is a priest? A priest stands between God and man. He's the representative, the liaison. Right, and so he shows up. So you see this, this is before the, the law of Moses. You found there's a priest. Yeah. This is this priest of God. There's no temple, but he's a priest of God. And he shows up, and Abraham, recognizing who he is, takes a tithe, 10% of all that he got, and he gives it to Melchizedek. And so the writer of Hebrews then takes this figure in in Hebrews chapter um, 7, and and actually in in the Psalms, it talking to Jesus about mm-hmm. Jesus. It's a messianic Psalm said, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Mm. So what the writer of Hebrews says is that this dude who shows up out of nowhere is a type of Christ. Now break it down. Give me, give me it all. Okay. Break it all so down. So he says he's without beginning or end. Yep. There's no, we don't know where he came from and where he went. Well, Jesus is God without yeah. beginning or end, That's right. without father or mother. They mm-hmm. never give his lineage. Well, of course, Jesus doesn't have a you know lineage because he's he's God. Mm-hmm. All right, he is a, a priest. Jesus is our high priest. Yeah. Okay, he is a king, the king of Salem. Jesus is the king. He Jesus is, is the king of Jerusalem and David's seat as right, well. Because Salem would be Jerusalem. That's right. He is the king of peace and the king of righteousness. Yep. Jesus is the king of peace and the king of righteousness. Okay, okay. he receives tithe. The first fruits w- and the 10%. Which is an act of worship, by yeah. the way, and is also a recognition of God. So he he receives the tithe. Well, Jesus, and it's like I tell our folks, um, I, I tell our people, I say, you you bring the tithe to church, but you you give the tithe to the Lord. Yeah. And so he received tithe uh, uh, from from him. And, and so, uh, and then he is a priest. What is really significant, the writer of Hebrews says, is that he is a priest, not after the priesthood of Aaron or of Levi, which which would be in under the Moses law of Moses, but he is a priest after Melchizedek. So that's a priesthood that is superior to. Before, superior to, and didn't end. Right. Because the law of Moses, the priesthood <clears throat> began, it ended, it started to be and ended. Yeah. But this is saying it does it. So it's a powerful image of this character in the in the first book of the Bible who just kind of shows up out of nowhere and then he's gone. And you're missing one last detail. Well, what's the biggest one? What was the meal? What did he bring to Abraham? Oh, that's right. He brought him uh, bread and wine. Bread and wine. Yeah, I'm missing that one, which would be like communion. communion. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy right there. Yeah. I mean, all of that right there. And it's it's clear. It's I, I don't want you to be intimidated when you get the types down. That was Would you say that's easy? We have help from Hebrews, clearly. But I think it's clear. I don't think that's something that's hard to do necessarily. The themes are there. Would you say so? I I think so. But again, you may read that, like some people, some of our listeners would be going, I never saw that. I Mm -hmm. never knew that was there. So that's what I'm saying. Hopefully this podcast today is going to help you go treasure hunting. Yeah. Is you're going to start reading the Old Testament and going, I need to start looking because yeah. if there's some things that remind me of things in the New Testament, I need to connect the dots 
and then I'll be able to understand. And I think this will, hopefully today, this podcast will just enrich your Bible reading, and even just what you've heard today hopefully will bless you um, to realize that from beginning to end, the Bible is just one continuous connected theme. Yep. It's not disjointed. It is just from beginning to end, it's all about Jesus, and 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 everything just flows together. And it's what makes it what it is. And I think the, the reason Word I, of God. I tried to read that really academic quote from Francis Young is he reads a lot of he uses a lot of big words, but I think what, like you just said, is what he's tr- what he's trying to say is that these themes aren't um, hid- hidden in the sense that you have to have some secret knowledge, nor often are they one-time events, but it's over and over and over and over again. There's constant themes there, right yeah. there, uh, that, that you can always see that are fulfilled in Christ. And so, uh, it's something that happens over and over and over again so that throughout your Bible reading, we don't have to give up the theme of Melchizedek because you're always going to sing priests or intercessors or the tithe or various things like that over and over and over again for you to receive spiritual life and benefit from. And uh, and what I hope it does for you is it makes your Old Testament reading fun. I think people get really frustrated with the Old Testament. I think they do. I have been. I'll admit it. Like I've had time I've walked away from the Old Testament and gone, why did I just do that? Like, no, yeah. what was the point of that? But as you stay and spend time in the scriptures and learn the themes, it like brings it alive. Yeah. And it's so much fun to make those connections and realize like, man, I'm nailing it. Well, we didn't even go to, I mean, I'm gonna, we're not going to spend time on this, but I'll give you the one other. Jesus said as um, Jonah was, Yep. In the belly of the whale for three days, even so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days. Mm-hmm. So Jesus gives us a, a type there that is Jonah spent three days. So when you read the, the book of Jonah, you're gonna see Jesus and the story, he's down there for three days. Well, you get caught up with how did he breathe and what's going on and you know yeah, the whole question. Which by the way, there have been people who who've done that. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um Realize now when you read Jonah, go. Well, this is this is foreshadowing Jesus when he was going to be be buried for three days. That's right. So anyway, it's all there. It's let, all there. Let me. I don't have the scripture in front of me. I, I just want to give you one last, I guess, interpretive. Just want to give you one last thing. When Jesus rises from the dead, he's on the road to Emmaus with two guys, and they just they didn't really see Jesus for who he was. They're disappointed. They thought, man, he's the Messiah. They don't get it. And so Jesus spends the entire walk there and even eats dinner with them. And he opens up the law and the prophets, uh, which is a fancy word for the entire New Testament. It's just a little catchphrase. Old Testament. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Old Testament. And he reveals how he is there from beginning to end. Yeah. And what he does is he shows, I'm there the whole time, the yeah. whole time. And so Jesus himself gives us this principle that says, if you look in the Old Testament, you will certainly find me. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I want you to know that too. Like, we're not getting this out of nowhere. We're not just trying to have fun or anything like that. Jesus gives us the principle right there. He's found there the whole time. If you only look for him, yeah, you can good. find him. You can find him. And so good stuff. Um, I want to give you a couple uh, books to read to help you out. The first book is this really neat one called the Book of Hebrews that we referenced multiple times. 
The book of Hebrews is replete with biblical typology. If you want to know how Christ fulfills all of these things, I mean, it is filled with it. The whole book depends on it. It'll help you find these things in the Old Testament when you read them. Exactly. It's going to be your primer. Two, for fun, uh, I want to encourage you to read a book called The Life of Moses by Gregory of Nyssa, where he takes basically the Exodus story and he reveals to you uh, the the spiritual truth behind it. And basically the whole book is dependent on him making these connections between Moses and between what happens in the New Testament, basically like we did for you today. It's a lot of fun. It's really unique. Go check it out. As always, chew the meat and spit out the bones. That's what good Christians do. And, you know, if you see something, you're like, eh, I'm not sure. Gregory of Nyssa and Jesus. You can tell him he's wrong. You know? That's right. <laughs> but there's a lot of really neat things in there that I think you'll have a whole lot of fun uh, reading about. Well, look, we hope that we helped you today. We hope that you enjoyed this episode today. As always, give us a like, rating, review. The five-star ones, those are the ones that matter. The more five stars we get, the more the Apple Podcasts will put our podcast before people and encourage them to listen to it. Um, So give us that. Send this podcast to somebody who needs it. Send us any questions, recommendations, anything you want. Find us at High Priestess Church on Instagram, on Facebook. Send us a little direct message there. We would love to know what you're thinking, maybe questions you have to ask. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. 